There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today in the show, we are taking a step back from the hunting strategy that we've been focusing on so much over the past couple weeks as we're getting ready for late summer and early fall and all the excitement. And instead, we are going to talk about the people and organizations that are working day in and day out to make sure that we have deer to hunt and places to hunt them. You know, we've talked a lot about deer conservation and advocacy and that kind of stuff over the years, Uh, but today we're, we're possibly discussing the biggest change to that whole world when it comes to deer since we started this whole thing, this podcast, and probably farther back than that. I'm gonna let our guests explain exactly what's happening themselves, but in short, There are some very significant changes coming for the major deer conservation organizations that many of you are familiar. The people we've been talking to over the years, the organizations that I've been involved in and many of you, and these changes that are coming down the line. As you're going to hear, they're hopefully going to lead to better outcomes for us deer hunters and for the deer we pursue and the places we enjoy exploring while we do that. So we're going to talk to Nick Pinizzotto of the National Deer Alliance, and Lindsey Thomas Jr. and Kip Adams from the Quality Deer Management Association. They're going to be discussing what these changes are, why this is all happening, and probably most importantly, what does this mean for us hunters? What can we expect in the future for the resource? What can we as hunters you know, be doing to be more engaged? You know, What's needed from us to make sure that deer and deer hunting are here long into the future for our kids and their kids and so on? So, if if you're pumped about the upcoming hunting season and you really want to be thinking about tactics and strategies and hunting plans, I don't blame you. I'm right there with you. But don't shortchange this conversation and skip it to get to the next hunting how-to. Because if we don't get this stuff right, if we're not strong advocates for deer and deer hunting, we won't get to enjoy the fun stuff for very long at all. So, with that out of the way, let's get to chatting with Nick Lindsay and Kip and learn exactly what's going on in the deer conservation world and how it's going to impact all of us. All right, with me now on the line, we have got Nick Penizzotto, Lindsay Thomas Jr., and Kip Adams. And and rather than trying to do the usual introductory chit-chat like we do, uh, I just want to jump right into the news because in my introductory remarks just before this, I kind of teed things up. We've got a pretty big 
announcement, set of, of updates and news for, for everyone here today. And Nick, can you just tell us what is going on? Why are we all here together to chat today? Absolutely. And I love jumping right into it. So yeah, uh, we uh, have just recently announced that the National Deer Alliance and the Quality Deer Management Association are essentially becoming one organization, which is uh, probably surprising and shocking news to some, even, even us initially when we started working on it. Um, but the real brief history for those who've been following along uh, back in 2014 and into 2015, it was really the Quality Deer Management Association that got the ball rolling that started the National Deer Alliance. And here we are about five years later announcing that we're coming back together. And we're, we're very excited about it. And we're very appreciative of you giving us this opportunity because many of us have been on your show, whether from a QDMA or NDA perspective, and you were personally involved when we got rolling. And so this is a really, this is a really cool discussion we're having right now, and we're excited for it. Yeah, it, it is. And it is a, a coming full circle in a lot of different ways. And like you mentioned, I've, I've gotten to know all of you in different ways, individually and with QDMA and the NDA. And, and now seeing this all, all come together, it's, it's, it's exciting. But it's also, I'm sure, from the outside looking in, a lot of people have questions more so around the the why. Why is this happening? There, were, We've had tough times in the conservation world recently with COVID-19. I'm just curious if you can give us a little bit more context as far as what what really led to this, the specific things, and why this is why this is, is like a clear win. This isn't like a fallback option, right? As I understand, this is like a, this is a really exciting move, nothing negative. Is that the right way to interpret it? Yeah, I love, actually, I love the way that you framed the question, because that's one of the aspects of this that we want to make sure that gets out. And that is, number one, so these, these discussions, they actually, at the very earliest stages, began before any of us realized that COVID-19 was going to shut our lives down. Um, so this is back early, the earlier part of this year, um, at that point, um, uh, QDMA had a transition in, uh, at their CEO position. And so we just had some early discussion, like, Hey, there's, there's some opportunity here. Let's, you know, let's, let's just have some conversation about how at the very least, this might be an opportunity for the two groups to work more closely together. And while that was just start starting to just get out of the starting blocks, COVID happened, uh, travel kind of got shut down, banquets got shut down, which are a huge part of the fundraising mix uh, for QDMA. And all of a sudden, it just became a little bit more of an urgent discussion, just from the standpoint of number one, uh, it's, a different, it's a different day in a lot of ways, not just because of COVID-19, just the way uh, with, with modern society, the different ways that we can do business now effectively the different ways that we can raise money. And so you start asking yourself questions like, why, why do we let something like COVID or some other factor we can't control? Why does that have to completely control how we raise money, for example? And so that forced us into just some sort of alternative thinking about just from a general business perspective, how we could do things more efficiently. The days of organizations, for example, having these big giant headquarter buildings and everybody drives to the office and you know even even those types of things are, are part of the conversation because at the end of the day the only thing that's necessary and the reason we all exist is because of the mission and 
it's not for any of these other reasons. And that's, that's one of the things that with COVID happening, I think that just sort of woke, not just, it's not even just us in the conservation world. I think business in general has woken us up to this idea that, you know what, there may be better ways, more efficient ways, more cost-effective ways to get things done. And so the business aspect was part of it. Um, and then I mentioned the, the vacancy at the CEO position. And um, I guess one of the things we probably should have said at the outset is that um, I, I have been the president and CEO of the National Deer Alliance since it started. And so um, what will happen now is I will be the president and CEO of this new organization uh, yet to be named. And so that was also another opportunity. My interest uh, in doing that, I've, I've been had affiliation with QDMA well before I was with the National Deer Alliance through the Deer Steward Program. I'm a life member. Um, so that all made a lot of sense too. And so it really was just a lot of different circumstances that pulled us together and very quickly in our conversations, it's what we called it, the, we called it a joint venture. I think it was, you know, what guys meeting number two by the time we started saying, you know what, we're actually a heck of a lot stronger together and it's a lot more efficient and cost effective. And we got excited about it really quickly. That, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm curious though, to hear what the, I'm curious to hear from, from you, Lindsay or Kip on the QD May side, your kind of what's been going on for you guys behind the scenes leading up to this too, because, because you had the, the added uncertainty around not having a CEO for a while, trying to figure out what the new direction is from a leadership standpoint. And I know you were part of, of a group trying to help decide that, that step next step forward. And then this comes about, um, I'm just kind of curious to hear from one of you and your perspective of, of, of why this seemed like the right fit for QDMA. Um, you know, Nick, from your perspective, you're the CEO of the National Deer Alliance, um, a relatively small organization. While with the QDMA, you've got a larger staff, you have tens of thousands of members, you have, you know, a 30 plus year history and, and legacy of what you guys have been about, what you have done. This stands as a pretty dramatic departure in ways, in some ways, from that. Um, I'm curious about where your guys' heads we're at through all this and, and where you think things are going now. Lindsay, I'd like to respond to that first. And, and Mark, I'll tell you, you know, Nick did a really nice job giving a detailed answer on, on kind of why this is good. I'll give you the short answer of this. The answer to your question, is this good for deer? Absolutely. This is really, really good for deer and for deer hunters. And, uh, you know, this is in no way a fallback position. Um, if you take a look, the NDA was doing very well, continuing to grow and have bigger influence. QDMA has, you know, our uh, deer steward program that's so successful, our whitetail report that was so successful, field to fork. We had all these things that were really doing well for us. So uh, we could have easily gone and continued the way we were, both organizations, and continued to be very successful and represent deer hunters and represent the resource. But uh, as soon as we started looking at, gosh, you know, we do some things together. There's some duplication of efforts. Um, should we do this, you know, get back together and, and continue uh, working much more closely together and then do stuff that you know, we haven't done before? And we quickly realized, absolutely, this would be good for us. This is good for NDA, but ultimately it's good for deer and hunters. So uh, this is all around a win-win. And from QDMA's end, one thing that was very important for us is the, you know, the change in leadership that we had earlier this spring. Uh, we spent the last four months with a, with a five-person team leading QDMA, 
And that was really, really good for us because we got to bring in everything that the different departments were thinking, were doing, and, uh, and enabled us to work much more closely together than we have in a, in a long, long time. So uh, as we started looking at that and, and how we could uh, better use you know, other staff resources, how we could combine our efforts, uh, this whole talk of a joint venture just fit into that perfectly. And uh, so it went from it wasn't just, well, should we do this or not? Uh, holy cow, how can we not do this? We need to do everything possible to take the opportunity we have here and just run with it. So uh, from our end of it, and uh, I'm, I hope I'm not stepping on Lindsay's toes here, but the QDMA side of it, we see this as a huge win for, for deer and deer hunters. And uh, ultimately, that allows us to just make a very easy decision on our part to, yeah, let's do everything possible to make this happen. Would you add anything, Lindsay? Wow, yeah, Kip covered it pretty well, and I, I don't disagree with anything he said. But, and that's very much where we were on this. And he's right that um, if this had never come up, QDMA would be fine. Um, we would make it through this tough year, um, like a lot of other conservation groups that are struggling with this, but making it through, we get by, we make some of the tough decisions that we've had to make. Um, we've made some of the, you know, we would have made some of the changes we've had to make and been forced to make by the pandemic, um, like switching gears on fundraising and, and saying, okay, well, you know, it can't be in-person events. What are we going to do? How are we going to replace that? And we found alternatives to that. So it really was a situation where the whole team came together and was saying, you know, wh- what are the, you know, we've got to make some difficult decisions here. Um, and, you know, we handled those. What can we do now to go forward? We worked on that, you know, QDMA was going to be fine, but when this conversation and this this option came up, this idea, you know, it just made sense to everyone as we looked at it. Um, yeah, as, as Kip mentioned, we were in a CEO transition. We were already, the board had named the five of us uh, as the temporary executive team. We were already had that question in our mind of CEO. And I think if, if you know, looking around the industry, Nick certainly was one of, if not the top guy we would have talked to and gone to as someone we'd love to have at the head of our team. Um, and, and you know Nick's experience. You, you've known him you know, as long as we have. And he, he's a QDMA life member. He's a level two deer steward, just very long-term uh, dug in with QDMA and the entire industry. So he could have been a strong candidate. But, but looking at Nick, raised the bigger question of, wait a minute, what, you know, why are there these two organizations and how could we maximize on efficiency and effectiveness if rather than just, you know, looking to try to grab Nick, what if both groups said, how about a marriage here? Um, how about we bring the entirety of both groups together? And, um, and yeah, like Kip said, as we started looking at that, it just, everyone was really struck by the opportunities um, at a time right now where we're all realizing, not just us, but everyone throughout the conservation community is realizing changes have got to be made. And in many cases, it's changes that were overdue. Um, so it just, it, it's a good time. It makes sense. Um, it is a path that sort of emerged in the woods, in the, in the thicket of 2020 that we said, oh, this is, this is the path we need to be following. It, it's, it's, it just makes sense. Um, certainly, I mean, initially, when we were in the CEO transition, and it was the five of us in positions of leadership we had not really been in before making major decisions, 
it was stressful. And we were looking at a time when, um, you know, banquets, we had to close all these banquets, a significant source of fundraising for us. Yeah, we were all under a lot of stress. Uh, we were all, you know, uh, relying on each other to uh, discuss these situations and how to handle them best. So when this first came up, some of us, you know, most of us were a little like, whoa, hang on, one thing at a time. You know, it almost seemed like maybe a little too much, but that was the initial reaction. And within um, the first conversation with Nick about maybe was there a bigger picture here, the lights sort of went on and everyone realized, okay, let's don't miss this opportunity because we're feeling stressed with these other decisions of running a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. So, so I think given all that, then I want to spend most of our time talking about, and, and maybe it's even dreaming a little bit, maybe, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I really like to spend time dreaming about talking about hearing what your ideas are about what is the future? How do we now take this, this new move and, and catapult, deer and deer hunters and in the conservation space to that next step where we're doing good things for the resource and for the people. Um, so, so I want to spend a lot of time there. But before that, I do think that there's probably some people listening who might be fearful of change in some kind of way. People that are, you know, hardcore, lifelong quality deer management association members who are involved in the grassroots, who have participated in the serious nuts, bolts, you know, dirt, hands in the dirt kind of work on their land, real advocates for that core original QDMA mission. Now with this new move, as I understand, there's going to be expansion of that mission. And I'll let you guys, you know, clarify or or correct me on any of that. But as I understand it, it sounds like this is a widening of the mission. This is a widening of the net. This is not just white-tailed deer anymore. This is all deer species. This is not just people that are managing for deer on private land. This is this is everything. This is private. This is public. This is both on the ground and your back 40, but also national policy. Um, so there's, there's bigger picture things here. So I, I got to believe there's some people who are wondering, well, what's this going to mean for my quality white-tails magazine? What's this going to mean for my branch meetings, for my educational events, for my deer steward course, for my APR initiative in my state, whatever it is, I think there's question marks for those people now that are listening. Can either one of you or any one of you three, really, if you feel like you can uh, speak to that a little bit, help uh, help us understand what those current QDMA members in particular, those very involved in a lot of the things you're doing, what do they have to be aware of, look forward to, be prepared for, anything like that? I'll jump in. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Kip. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't, I'm, I'm going to touch on the first part, and I'll turn it right over to you from the communication side. Uh, I don't think they need to be nervous about anything here. Um, certainly, they should be anxious. They can be, uh, you know, inquisitive. But uh, some of the same questions we had early on is, hey, if we work more closely with NDA, you know, does that mean we're going to lose the core focus of what QDMA was based on? or what we believe in or what we do? And uh, the answer to that is, is not at all. We're, we're not losing our, our focus. We're not losing the things we want to do. We are just gaining an opportunity to expand on those and, uh, and take them even to a higher level. Uh, right now, Mark, a full third of QDMA members don't own any land. Um, some people incorrectly look at us as, uh, you know, the land ownership organization, but that's not true. We have a third of our members that, that don't own any land. You know, they, they hunt public land. They hunt friends' land. Uh, so we've had a big push in the last few years, you know, to be able to do more policy work, particularly for public lands, 
to have a bigger focus in our magazine and, you know, on some hunting-related stuff versus management stuff. So uh, we're not losing any of that. Uh, we see this entirely as keeping, you know, our core beliefs and just having a bigger opportunity to have more impact actually uh, on the landscape. Yeah, Kip's uh, exactly right on that, and that's just exactly what I was going to say. And, Mark, this transition you're talking about, I mean, it was pretty much already underway for QDMA. You know, we were broadening out. I mean, look at what the success we found with the Field to Fork program that Hank Forrester piloted here under us. You know, and that was showing us the great potential in reaching out to non-hunters and bringing them into the family. And so we were heading that way. We were trying to grow that. That was one of the, the most exciting things to come along recently at QDMA. Not only were we trying to grow that program and expand it into more states and more events and reaching more new hunters, but trying to also be there for those new hunters in a way that we never had before in terms of content and educational information. So those shifts were already underway. You know, uh, there never was and never really will be I don't think a, you know, time to put up the mission accomplished banner over quality deer management. But I think you can make an argument that QDMA had come a long way in 32 years. You, and, um, it's not even an argument. The statistics are there every year in our whitetail report that will show you where we've come as a nation and throughout the history of QDMA in terms of buck age structure of the harvest and how more hunters are killing, you know, older adult bucks than, they, than ever before. Um, and how populations are balanced and hunters know more about doe harvest and habitat than they ever have before. We're not ever going to quit talking about that. So like I said, we're never going to say mission accomplished, but certainly we've reached a point in the history of deer hunting here where QDM is pretty much the, prim uh, the primary and dominant philosophy in the minds of most uh, deer hunters. So that allows us to kind of move on and look at things like, spend more time on things like uh, hunter recruitment through Field to Fort. Kip has spent, you know, a lot of time in the last few years working on policy in a very, you know, an effective way. Matt Ross has got the Deer Steward program going well. Both Kip and Matt will still be, they're, they're part of this. They're still part of the leadership team. Um, Hank Forrester, the, the, who, who piloted the Field to Fort program, is still with us. I'm still here. Who has, you know, I've run Quality Whitetails and, and the content for a long time, and my team and, and the, the staff underneath us are going into this, you know, and, and when you look at who we are, um, even look at Nick, who, like I said, is a level two deer steward and a life member. Um, when you look at each of us and who we are, this new organization is still going to have the values that QDMA always had. We're still going to be interested in and want to talk about food plots and uh, buck age structure. We're never going to get away from that. But the need was there for us to broaden um, our outreach, broaden our efforts. And when you take, uh, when you look at the things we were doing that Nick and NDA were duplicating, uh, again, it's just the perfect marriage. We come together, we, we enhance and become more effective on policy. We continue the Deer Steward education. We enhance the, the hunter access and hunter recruitment efforts that both groups were working on. So it's just a it's really an intensification of a process and a transition that was already going on. That, that from the outside looking in, that has been apparent as well. I've, I've seen that. I've sensed that and we've, we've talked about it in past podcasts too. So it does make a lot, it does make a lot of sense. And I hate to keep harking on this bit though, but I, 
and I, you don't want to be the person stuck on the past, right? But there has to be some little part of you guys that there's something, I don't know if it's romantic, but nostalgic or sentimental about the Quality Deer Management Association. And that name is going away, right? Like we're, we're changing the name. This is a new organization. So essentially, this is a celebration of the new organization. And, and, and because I, I just don't like saying new organization, I don't like saying that yet to be named. I'm just going to call it the Wired to Hunt Deer Association just because it's short and it sounds good. And I think it's got a ring to it. So I'm just going to roll with that. <laughs> no. Um, no, but whatever the new organization is, um, that we're celebrating that new future. But there's also like looking at what we've achieved up to this point. I'm just kind of curious if either one of you, Kip or, or Lindsay, um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on the closing of that chapter? Is there any sense of, uh, nostalgia or, or is it just, Hey, gung ho moving to the forward? Um, just curious if, if there's any of that kind of thought, because I got to believe there's some people that are going to be like, wow, this is kind of the end of an era. And it's it's a good thing, but it isn't the end of an era. Well, Lindsay and I talked about this as we did with all of the other staff. And um, I, I struggled with that for a little bit. Uh, you know, I have been a QDMA member since 1999, uh, been a staff member since 02. So, uh, you know, one of my closest personal friends is Mr. Joe Hamilton, who, you know, who founded the organization. And, uh, you know, I just have such tremendous respect for Joe and what he has done, you know, to our profession in addition to, to founding CDMA. So uh, there was definitely a part of that, you know, that made me feel a little sad for Joe more than anything else, um, partly because as we went through it, we realized, you know what, we all agreed unanimously that uh, the QDMA logo was really what was more important than just the name. The fact that that symbolized not just a buck and not, you know, an incredibly grotesque large buck, but, you know, just a, a solid, mature deer that included the female of the species. Um, that logo was very important and is more dear to me than, than just the name. So uh, I I said, Orlando, hey, like, I really feel strongly that, that we should keep the logo. Um, I'm fine changing the name as long as we have that. Um, then uh, with a conversation with Joe and said, hey, you know, kind of, what's going on? You know, I'm really interested in your thoughts here. Um, you know, Joe is you know, he's in his 70s now, but he is very forward-thinking, you know, and very understanding of how to be successful. And uh, he said, look, you know, we have changed that name before. You know, it started as the South Carolina QDMA and went to the North American QDMA, then the QDMA. And uh, he said, hey, you know, as long as we continue to do good work and stand by what the principles of this organization are, then that's all we need to be concerned about. So when he said that, I was totally fine if, if, hey, if changing the name was going to be better. Now, if changing the name was worse, I've been the first one fighting against it. But uh, there's, the name has always come with some uh, potential baggage, um, just having the word management in it. There are some who don't know us. I just see it. They think, well, if it's management-related, you have to be a landowner, so uh, that must not be for me. And, uh, you know, that's not true at all, but, but that belief is definitely there by some. And we have surveys to show that. So, uh, so there was always a little bit of hang-up by a, a certain part of uh, the hunting uh, public out there relative to that. So, so I don't see losing that name as a bad thing. Um, I see us uh, continuing to evolve. Um, I see us keeping a logo, which is extremely important. So um, oh, I, I'm good with it, and especially given that the founder is, and, uh, and he sees this as a positive thing and just the next chapter in, uh, in our life. Um, I, I'm totally at peace with it, Mark. What do you think, Lindsay? 
Yeah, I'm 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 agreeing with that too. It'd be real easy, and this this is something that's been on my mind all this year, both in relation to this discussion and and the pandemic and everything else. It's real easy to um, not change because change is difficult. I mean, it always is. Change like this is always difficult, and and it's hard to take sometimes. And, and that sense of nostalgia works against you. You know, you want to preserve what you've got. And it's easy to sit there and do nothing and stick with the status quo rather than do the harder thing and change when you need to. And I just think that if ever there was a time when um, we need to all sort of realize that sometimes you need to take action and take the difficult path because it is time to change um, and that everything will be okay. This is that time. And that's, that's where I've settled on that is, is that, yeah, it's not easy. I mean, it was Joe himself who told me, you know, and told our group and talking to us that everything is always changing. That's his outlook. That, and that's the truth. Um, change is always going around us. And, and sometimes you have to open your mind to the possibility that the change will be good and uh, though difficult. And that's, that's where we are on this. That's where I am on this is that, um, uh, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It has not been easy to talk about this in some ways. But overall, it is the right time, and there is no doubt in my mind that uh, the benefits, the, the positivity of, of this, the p- potential of this uh, means we need to – this is the right thing to do. And, and I think, you know, even though I'm sitting here talking about change, again, go back to what I said about who we are, you know, as a group of people, there's a lot about this group that, that is who we are is not going to change. Um, just adapting to the times, I guess, is is the way I would say it. Adapting to remain relevant and effective. Pay attention here, because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So... On hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. And use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash MEATEATER. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. 
because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. So, so here's the interesting, I guess I, I look at the moment we're in right now. And I compare this to the moment we were in about five or so years ago, 2013, 14, 15, give or take that period. We had started seeing some numbers that were concerning as far as deer harvests. We were having back-to-back years of bad EHD. Um, We were, of course, seeing the hunter recruitment numbers that were concerning. There were all these little flash bulbs that were telling us, ooh, there maybe, maybe things aren't as great as we thought in the deer hunting world. And... Some of that led to lots of different conversations within the industry, within the conservation world, and ultimately led to the creation of the National Deer Alliance, which was going to be this national organization, which could help address some of these issues at a top level, very all-inclusive, much more policy-driven, uh, which, which ended up you know, coming to fruition, Nick taking the helm, uh, so on and so forth. Now, tell me if I'm wrong here when I say this, but it seemed like that was driven by a concern about current events like there's things going on that said hey we need a stronger a stronger organization to attack this type of issue bring into the picture nda now here we are about five years later we've got this this next set of events this leads us to whatever this new organization is going to be how would you look at the is it is there a certain similar set of deer related issues that also make this more important or would you say this has been more driven by the things we talked about, that being COVID, leadership, um, changing times, but but not as influenced by, hey, the deer world is going in the shitter, um, to excuse my French. Um, I don't know, Nick, can you, can you kind of speak to these two different situations we've found ourselves where really within the last 20, 30 years, we've, we've seen two big changes in the deer conservation space um, kind of evolving off of each other. But um, reflect on that if you can. Yeah, and and so having lived it on the front lines, as you were talking, many of these things were rushing back in, into my brain. So, um, so the reasons that the National Deer Alliance was created, um, not only have those those issues not gone away, they're still there, but in some ways they're even they're even more dire. So, for an example, when we first started NDA, we did a strategic planning process and uh, went through that entire process and one of the items on our list to work on was diseases but it fell on like number three or number four on the list and before that first year of the national deer alliance was complete chronic wasting disease was rapidly spreading across the country we were adding adding new states adding new areas within states that hadn't had it before and so by the next time we did the strategic plan we had to update it and cwd became 80 percent of what we worked on and so that was that's probably the most significant thing that happened. It was the most abrupt thing. Then in the meantime, other things that continued to happen was more loss of hunters, 
um, loss of quality places for people to hunt or or maybe perceived loss of those places and people just um, unable to find places to go. Uh, that was happening. Um, continued infringement on on our heritage just by bad policy or misinformed policy. And I, I actually had felt that, that I feel this way right now that we we kind of took deer for granted. Uh, we we didn't think about the idea that uh, seven out of ten people that hunt anything that buy a hunting license hunt deer, and the next species is not even anywhere close to that. So if you think about the money that's generated off the backs of deer and people who want to hunt deer for all of wildlife conservation, like why would we ever take deer for granted? And I felt like that was happening. Now, in the meantime, we we made some strides with the Deer Alliance. So, for example, uh, we testified twice in front of congressional committees in recent years, and and it was on CWD, but it'd been a long time before anyone from the deer world really had a chance to get in front of Congress, for example. So uh, we had a lot more success in places like Capitol Hill and state legislatures because we pushed for it. So I felt that the whole reason for NDA, and I remember saying this many different times, um, because I'll be honest with you, when the NDA first started, I was one of the people out in the audience that didn't think it was a great idea. Uh, my, in my mind at that time, and it's, it's so funny thinking about this as we as we come full circle, I thought that we should just invest more in TDMA and let it happen. Um, but lo and behold, things happened the way they did, and maybe it was meant to happen that way. But what happened, though, was one of the things we never or we hadn't been able to do at NDA was grow. And there were reasons for that. Number one, when we started, we said right off the bat we weren't going for paid memberships because we didn't want to compete with the other deer groups. And in fact, we wanted to try to bolster their memberships. And so um, competing for funds or um, not having paid members, you add all that up and you, you just don't, you're unable to get the resources you need to grow to a level that you need to grow to. So I was the only staff person up until January of this year. And that just was never going to get it done. And so when you look at the resources that QDMA already brings with the success that NDA was starting to build, I just thought to myself, listen, I, we could grow NDA. Like we could, we could change the way we do business and try to attract a bunch more dollars and add staff. Or we've already got QDMA sitting here that has a lot of great staff resources. They've got dedicated people. They've got a, uh, a robust membership and dedicated volunteers and, and a strong board of directors. Wouldn't it make a lot more sense that let's let's just bring the family back together here? NDA went off and sort of incubated, got its feet under it, had a lot of success. But now it's time to come back home and make the family stronger. And, and that's really how I view this. So even though you had mentioned about it's going to be all beer now and those types of things, it's primarily going to be all deer on the policy front. So when we advocate for deer, we're going to advocate for all, all North American uh, deer. So it's not, not like all of a sudden that tomorrow we're going to go out and start working on mule deer habitat in Wyoming, for example. Uh, we have a very strong partner in the Mule Deer Foundation that already does that. But we were doing policy on behalf of mule deer for the Mule Deer Foundation through the NDA. So that will continue. Um, and we will still be able to hold those very uh, core programs that, that QDMA is very passionate about combined with NDA's policy. 
And I look at this as more for everybody, not less for anybody. What do you, you kind of mentioned how NDA, how you went out and you, you'd worked on this stuff and you kind of incubated for a while and now it, it's kind of coming back to QDMA because because QDMA was part of what, what kind of launched the NDA. There. I'm kind of curious, having been out in the wilderness now for some number of years, Nick, as a one-man organization, pushing hard on the policy front, trying to do all that, now you come back to the Quality Deer Management Association and taking the leadership helm there. What If you were to analyze the legacy of NDA or your experience, the good and the bad, what you achieved, what you wanted to achieve but maybe didn't, um, can you point to anything that you feel that you can bring to the QDMA now, specifically on that side, that is is um, that represents like a big positive change that, that now this new organization can take advantage of? Because you, you got all these learnings. You were out there doing these things, but you lacked the staff, additional support additional resources. Now you have that. I guess I'm just looking, I'm curious about what examples there might be of some of these things that you can take from that experience that now you're given rocket fuel to, you can do something big and really exciting with. Are there any examples that jump to mind on that front? Well, the policy answer is the easy one, because I think one of the things NDA was able to do, and it's not, and it's not, by the way, like that QDMA wasn't doing policy. Uh, Kip, who we have here on the phone, has, has done a ton of policy work for QDMA. But the other thing is Kip's also done a ton of other work for QDMA, and he never was able to just be a policy person. Um, and frankly, with all of the other skills that he has, I'm not sure he should be just doing policy, right? Uh, NDA, we were able to just have that 100% focus on policy. And I think what it did was it taught us that we can have impact. Like all of a sudden, when there was an opportunity to testify in front of a congressional committee, we got the opportunity. Um, when we were setting up meetings with our partners, with legislators on Capitol Hill, we were getting those meetings. So it allowed an entity to, to show if we have if we have full focus in this area, which is a critical, critical area, then we can actually make some impact. And I think before that, it was just a little bit too uh, piecemeal, if you will. Um, as Kip will tell you, there, there are so many different deer issues that go on across the country on, on a daily basis. It's just you, you just kind of respond to what is out there, what someone might ask you to do. And in the case of QDMA with the number of branches, um, you got all kinds of local types of requests coming in. It's just impossible for anyone to do all that and then also try to push an agenda on Capitol Hill, which unfortunately, I mean, believe me, I, it's not an aspect of the work I enjoy, but um, it is what it is. Somebody has to do it. Uh, we have to be there and it has to be a concerted effort on that front. So I think it's it's NDA has proven that if we're not just reactionary and we're proactive, we can make big strides on the policy front. And I think uh, that's what the five years really allowed us to do. Um, and as a matter of fact, the person that I had hired, Torn Miller, uh, the first hire at NDA is a policy person. And so I can even just tell you bringing him on in addition to the work that I was doing, policy is a is a big time, full time job for for at least one person, and then you have to other, have other pe- people that can play into it. And as much as I I hate to say it, it's just it's really just the reality. As much as we love doing all the boots on the ground habitat work and recruiting and uh, new hunters and, and getting people interested in what we do, the real battleground is 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 the white collar aspect of what we do, and that that's not fun for anyone. That's not fun for deer hunters to hear about. But if we don't play the policy game, everything else that we love to do is in big time trouble. So 
um, I would say that's really the biggest piece. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's not necessarily the fun part, but uh, if you don't get that checked off, the fun part never comes. So I'm, I'm glad that there have been people working on those things and there will be continuing to be people working on those things. And I think that's maybe where we need to go next is, is what we'll be working on in the future. Um, as I've heard in this conversation today and in some previous discussions, the way I kind of, if I had to sum all of this up, it's we are, we are taking the best of these two strong organizations full of passionate people about deer and deer hunting and, and combining them so we have a more efficient, more effective, uh, better fueled engine to drive positive change for deer and deer hunters. So this is kind of like a 2.0 of everything and it all sounds really good. We have more resources, we have leadership, we have we have a set of new ideas that can help us take us in the new direction, take that next step. It's 2020, it's a new day, lots of things are changing. I want to understand more clearly what that new direction is, what those new things are that we can achieve. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to hear from all three of you, but I guess maybe Nick, since you are now the CEO of this organization, I'm curious, could you could you articulate for me um, let's say we're, we're sitting in front of the Q, the new, not the QDMA staff, the new organization staff, and you're going to give the pep talk. This is what we're going to do. These are our top three goals. Um, could you give me that pep talk? How, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it now that we've got everything that we always wish we had. Yeah. Yeah. And I've given this pep talk, I think a half dozen times in recent weeks, uh, the board members and even staff and so on. So it's, uh, it remains fresh in my mind. So, you know, Mark, it's less about the top three things and more about challenging ourselves to, to look wider across the landscape and just the big picture of deer. I mentioned earlier that deer have become, take, they've, they've been taken for granted in my view. And the other thing that's, that's really sort of scary and disappointing is that let's take hunters out of the equation, for example. The average person out there knows very little about deer to begin with. I mean, how many national news articles have we seen that were about deer and they've got a picture of a, a red deer? You know, not even, not even a North American deer in the picture because they don't have somebody that knows what a freaking white-tailed deer or a mule deer looks like, right? Um, that's, that's frustrating. And so everybody lives with deer around them, whether it's a whitetail or a mule deer, um, and they have no idea what they have no idea about deer, and they also have absolutely no idea about what they mean to broad wildlife conservation. But we know that people generally care about wildlife and conservation, so really they better know something about deer. And so setting our hunters aside for a second. Um, because we, we're hopeful that our hunters will always be there and we, and we have every bit as much for them tomorrow as we had for them yesterday. That's not going to change. But we need to broaden an awareness for this animal, period. And when I talk about going to talk to Capitol, uh, legislators on Capitol Hill, that's all well and good and we have some impact. But the reality is we're only backed by about 4% of the population, maybe 5% if we're being generous, that even hunt in the first place. And so when you're competing against everything else that's going on in the world, as bad as something like chronic wasting disease, for example, is, it's hard to be heard. So until we start growing our ranks of people that are 
more aware of deer, who are more sensitive to the needs of deer, who understand what declining hunters mean to all conservation, it's going to be really hard to move the ball down the court on Capitol Hill and in state legislatures because we just do not have the numbers. We need more numbers. And in my way of thinking, if you if you allow yourself to to dream and be optimistic a little bit, this broader push of awareness, this this broader um, becoming a little bit more um, of a conservation, more holistic conservation organization that has a great message about our most iconic game animal in North America. I think that leads to hunter recruitment. I think you combine that very powerful campaign for deer with a program like Field to Fork, which we're only scratching the surface of how effective that can be. Um, and, and messages like if you look at even even with uh, Meat Eater, your, your affiliation there, you're reaching audiences that, frankly, we have, as just a deer group, really hard for us to reach. Um, I think it was Kip earlier who said, or maybe it was Lindsay that said, that even just our name, Quality Deer Management Association, in some ways put up barriers, unfairly, because QDMA has always been way more for deer than what they've ever gotten credit for. But, okay, we can't just throw that away. I mean, that's reality. What people perceive you to be is, is essentially who you are. But we need to capitalize on learning, like, how did, how did you reach those audiences? How can we work together? We want to work with the forward thinkers. Uh, we want to get out of our comfort zone. If you look at some of the images that come from that Field to Fork program, and I'll tell you, I've had to present this to boards of directors and so on here in, in recent weeks to get this down the road. Um, I, asked, uh, I asked Hank Forster at QDMA, hey, send me, send me a few pictures that you like from the Field to Fork program. And so, actually, I said, send me one. He sent me a few because he couldn't pick one. And then I looked at them, and I couldn't not use all of them because I loved them all. And I put them in the presentation, and I challenged our boards to say, listen, we need to be comfortable being uncomfortable right now if we're going to move the needle here. We need to be willing to talk to people that are the hardest people to talk to. Now, I'm not saying we're going to throw all the other stuff away that we already do. That's the furthest thing from the case. What I'm really saying is we're investing. By doing this, we're investing in the long-term future of our sport. And more importantly than all of that, the long-term future of this animal and, frankly, the North American model of wildlife conservation, which so depends on robust deer herds for, for people to hunt. So um, I get passionate whenever I think about it and talk about that. But because no one else is going to do it, we have to be the ones to do it. And I, I, I believe very strongly that, that our team is bought into that. And I think in time, we're going to get membership bought into that. And I, I envision a time where we have people who don't ever desire to hunt a deer that will purchase a membership to our organization, much like folks who would belong to like Trout Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited. Uh, that's, that's, that's our vision, I think, going forward here. And so if I can, if I can rehash it back to you, tell me if I kind of get the moral of the story here, which is out the gate, at least more important than saying, Hey, we're going to find the solution to chronic wasting disease in the next three years, or more important than saying we're going to increase public land access by 20% in the next five years, more important than any of those. The first thing we have to do right 
And the first thing that this new organization has the opportunity to do is to grow this family in a significant, meaningful, and different kind of way. Open up the gates to not just the usual folks, but new folks, those in the hunting community and outside the hunting community, those in the rural areas and in the urban areas. Let's, let's grow the family because once you've got a great big family that cares about this stuff, then you can mobilize them and get them to take care of public land access issue A, or chronic wasting disease issue B, whatever it is when it comes down the line. Most important thing is building an engaged and passionate membership that can do something. Because if there's anything I've found from some of the things I follow on the public land side, it's when you have a large membership that does something that really interesting things happen. So would you say, is that did I, I kind of get the moral of what you're describing or aspiring to, Nick? Yeah, and, and, and what we've done is we've, and it's, it's nobody's fault, but we kind of forgot the fundamentals of what it means to engage people. And so when you ask our community, or you, you bring up the whole, the whole thing, the whole situation of, well, we need to recruit more hunters. Okay, well, let's have a conversation about that. Because what ends up happening is we turn that into how quickly can we get a gun or a bow into somebody's hands and get them out into the woods. Uh, if you're if you're coaching a person to play football for the first time and they've never played before, you don't deck them out in equipment and throw them out on the field and say, okay, we're going to run 26 sweeps. <laughs> um, and that's what we try to do in the hunting world. You got to teach the fundamentals. You got to get them interested in the idea that you got to love the game first. And so we need we need people to love deer and not just think about them in terms of I don't want to hit one with my car. Um, or I wish somebody would pick up that dead deer along the road or it's eating my flower garden. Um, so, and I think part of it is, is that even CEOs of conservation organizations have, have tended to be measured on all the wrong things. They're measured on how big is your membership or how, how many you had mentioned, like, did you conserve this many acres? That's important. That is, that is important for sure. But it's the movement. It takes a long time. You can't make this change happen in the snap of a finger you can't make this change happen look how long if you talk to, to to kip and Lindsay, how long did it take for more than half the people that shoot a buck to shoot one that wasn't a yearling that took many years and we have to have that same appetite for playing the long game if we want to bring people on board for deer you bring up a great question then uh, which you brought up how CEOs of conservation organizations are judged. Um, how should we, how should we judge this new organization's success or your success, Nick, if we, if we were to point the mirror back and say, okay, five years from now or whatever time length you think is appropriate, um, what would be some of the things we should look at and say, okay, yes, they've done it or no, they haven't quite, um, anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't think that I think it was Lindsay that mentioned about never being done. You don't hang up and say you've accomplished the mission. So it's a change, constantly changing landscape out there. But I think it's a couple things. I think number one, it is are, are we a uh, financially healthy and stable organization that is building for the future? I think that's a, that's one part of it. Um, do we have we have we moved the needle in terms of the people that we have engaging on policy for? Uh, for deer, for wildlife conservation? Have we improved our footprint on um, in the policy arena? Because that's the other thing that's frustrated me over the years is that deer, despite being uh, the most most iconic game animal that, that we pursue, we haven't had the biggest voice 
uh, when it comes to impacting policy. And that's even with our partners when we get into in the meetings with our partner organizations. So um, I think that's part of it. Um, but I think ultimately, in some ways, you know, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned membership earlier because in some respects it is important. But I think what's more important is not necessarily how many, but who are they? Are we still just a membership of 40 to 50 something and up white guys? Well, if we are, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble in the future. Um, or have we attracted young people now? Um, do we have people wearing our, our gear and our merchandise that don't intend to even shoot a deer, but they're sensitive and they're supportive of what we do? Um, I think those are the things to me are, are ultimately the more important. And I don't know in terms of years, um, you know, you, you just don't know. Um, I guess I guess we have to to learn what the right message is, and we have to see how people respond to it. And we need to, more importantly, though, or, or most importantly, we need to be willing to change along the way until we find it, and not just say, "Well, you know what? This is too hard. Let's just let's just go back to figuring out how to grow the biggest deer and and uh, hunt them." And that's just short sighted. I mean, we need to play the long game here. Pay attention here, because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. So then let's send a similar question over to Kip and Lindsay. Um, 
you've been in a role with QDMA for a number, a long amount of time now. And when opportunities like this come about where there's a big change in leadership or direction or the organization as a whole, as is this case, there's always this feeling, at least I've thought, there's this feeling of there's this new beginning, there's a new hope that we can finally do this or this thing I've always been passionate about, but we didn't have the energy to do or the time to do or the people or something. I got to imagine there's been something for you in the back of your mind. You've always wanted to have this opportunity to tackle in a, in a new way or better way or something. Um, I'm curious if you could speak to anything like that. I asked Nick what some of his goals or dreams were for the future. Um, Kip, would you have, is there anything on your wish list for this new organization or this to do better than we used to do list? Anything like that that comes to mind as far as what you foresee for the future of this? Yeah, um, you know, to, to add to a question that you asked earlier uh, that'll kind of preface my answer here, you know, are we doing this out of necessity or or not, and, uh, and the answer is, I, you know, I think there's a lot of things that are formed out of necessity, um, things that have to happen. I don't see this as being one of those at all. I see this being done out of an opportunity, capitalizing on an opportunity. And, and what I'm so excited about is I was heavily involved, you know, back in 2014, you know, when we first started going through this. And, you know, I was all excited about, man, we're going to have this, you know, this new thing now that we can do a lot more advocacy work and we can be more focused on what we're doing and uh, got to go through, you know, the, the naming of it and sitting in and all that stuff and all the creation and all of a sudden it was gone. So, I mean, but we just worked for months to do something that we knew was right for, for, for deer hunters and that we knew was what was best for the resource and then all of a sudden it was gone. And now, and not that it was competing against us, but you know, there was certainly duplication of a lot of the things that we were doing. And, you know, Nick and I spoke at the same conference in a lot of cases about, well, we do this and we do this. I'm thinking, geez, you know, it's, it's almost the exact same thing. Like, this just seems crazy to me. So uh, I am very excited that, you know what, this is what we set out to do, you know, a number of years ago. And now we're finally getting a chance to do it. So uh, second chances uh, many times can come around. We have that now. So, uh I think it's great that we really have a chance now to do what we, we thought we were going to a while ago. So we can be more focused on what we're doing, have a bigger impact for, uh, for the future of deer hunting. And uh, that is extremely exciting to me, not only as a QDMA or current QDMA staff member, uh, but as a hunter and as a father of two young hunters, uh, knowing that this is the right thing for the future. So uh, I'll do everything I can to, to protect it, you know, while I'm here. But uh, long after I'm gone, I want to make sure that, you know, that my kids and hopefully someday grandkids, you know, have some of those same rights and opportunities and privileges that I do to hunt healthy deer herds. And uh, this is this is a step in that direction. So I'm, I am super excited about that. What about you, Lindsay? What's what's on your your wish list or, or anything like that? Yeah, I guess that um, there's there's always the unexpected that comes along. So it's sort of hard to say, you know, here's the direction I'd like to see us go. I mean, we, we've always been a science-based organization and always will be. And, and when new science comes up, whether it's related to CWD or policy matters or hunting the animal itself or whatever, it can lead to changes in the direction of your mission and your organization and your focus points uh, based on that new information. And certainly QDMA has, has done things like that in our history where, New science led us to focus on new educational uh, focal points, but that that sort of unexpected is always coming along. Coming along, I think though that when I think back over the trajectory just of my career here at QDMA, 
how much I love being here and, and engaging with our members and writing and teaching and being involved in things like trail camera surveys and how to, you know, why it matters how much fat there is on a deer's kidney and, you know, the difference between annuals and perennials. You know, I, that, I feel like, as I said before, about looking at traje- trajectory of philosophy among deer hunters in North America, we've moved the needle on that. We have educated hunters on those things, and they're so much more knowledgeable than they used to be than, than they were before. Well, in the last few years, I've personally realized through watching the Field to Fork program and what we've touched on there, that for a hunter who knows all those things that we just talked to, I just talked about and, and really is up on the habitat and the herd management and all of that. Suddenly discovering that instead of talking to someone about food plots, that there's someone else out there who might need you to show them how to field dress a deer and taking knowledge you, you sort of always took for granted of your own that you never really shared with anybody because you always thought, well, that's just the basics. And realizing that there's a whole community out there untapped of people who need you to show them that. People who need you to help them understand when you're sitting in a deer stand how to be still and why you should be still and what you should be looking for and all the all of the basics that come with deer hunting. And it's it's been inspiring to me and a lot of us on the team to to pivot toward some of that and helping folks who need that kind of help. And I think that's what I'd like to see is, okay, so we can measure in the trajectory of the North American deer hunter how they've come up the curve on herd management and habitat management. We can argue that compared to 30 years ago, the average deer hunter is way more knowledgeable about all that and produces way more successful food plots today and, you know, knows how to balance a deer herd with their habitat, knows how to identify some plants and all that. I'd like to, my wish is I'd like to be part of a new phase of this organization that leads to the point where we can measure and say the modern American deer hunter now has become someone who knows how to talk to people who don't hunt and people who don't look like them and don't fit in with their, you know, old deer camp social group and teach them, get excited about teaching them and taking them. And if we could see that become the next modern philosophy of the North American deer hunter, yeah, there's my wish. Yeah, I like I like that one a lot, Lindsay. And that, that brings up a great question, which is, what does this change mean for the Field of Fork program? We've talked about it quite extensively here in the podcast, so most everybody should be pretty well aware of what that has been to this point. But now, new organization, new leadership, new energy, maybe, new opportunities. Uh, Nick or, or anyone else, if you want to jump in, but, but what do you guys foresee in the future for Field to Fork, given uh, this new moment? Yeah, I'll start, and I'll let the guys that have been more experienced with it talk more. I love, I love what, what the guys have said so far. Um, I'll just say from my perspective is that I'm, I'm going to be fully committed to it. Um, it was one of the things that we brought up in one of our earliest conversations. We started working together as a staff. And so in my view, like, let's figure that thing out. Let's invest resources in it and and see where it can take us. Because I think it is one of those outside the box. Uh, clearly, it's one of those outside the box programs in terms of how we think and how we do business. Um, so I'll just say I'm committed to it. 
and I'll let the other fellows take it away from there. I don't think there's any way that this group goes forward without looking at the success we've had with that. And by success, I don't necessarily mean, you know, measurable on a national scale, how many hunters have we recruited. I mean, what Hank discovered uh, by reaching out to adult non-hunters with a food-focused message um, and the success he found through that, that we discovered this, um, you know, this untapped group that was out there that, and, and not entirely untapped. I mean, certainly Steve and the Meat Eater crew have been uh, very effectively reaching folks like that for years now. But, you know, with Hank's method of putting ourselves in front of them in public places and asking them to taste venison and asking them, do they want to learn to hunt? And the success we found with um, folks saying yes, and the success we found with running them through a program of teaching and guiding and training, what we saw from that with the result, these people going through that short program and then literally going out hunting on their own, buying hunting equipment, taking other people, all within the same season, um, being with them when they took their first deer, being with them when they cooked their first deer, and, and guiding them through that process and realizing that um, we could build something, we should build something bigger out of this that's much needed so uh, it, it's one of like i said i think it's one of the things we've hit on over the years that um really surprised us in in uh, the response and the result and i don't think there's any way this group goes forward without making that uh one of the major um you know cornerstones of what we do to address hunter access and hunter numbers um We've got to expand it. That's going to be a challenge. Um, and it was already a challenge for QDMA before 2020 came along. Is How do we make this bigger? How do we bring more mentors in? How do we get more hunters to see this opportunity and participate? That challenge is still there before us. And um, I think under Nick's leadership and with this, this new direction, the new group, um, we're going to, to solve that question and go forward and, and really make a difference in a measurable way. Yeah. And I'll jump in real quick before you Kip and just say that you mentioned something, Lindsay, that I think is, is an important thing to note on is that yes, folks like Steve and and what we're doing at meat eater, we reach a lot of people and a lot of them are non hunters and they get intrigued and they're interested and they're curious. Um, So we've got this wide top of the funnel and we're capturing people there. But as they get down further and further down there where they start listening and and watching and they're intrigued and they're interested, a lot of people still get to a point where they hit this roadblock. And that is the roadblock of finally getting out there in the woods or buying a gun or trying to gut their own deer or trying to find a deer in the woods by themselves. Um, So many people really struggle once they get to that point. And that's where the Field of Fork program just fits perfectly is is that like closer it's like the closing pitcher at the end of the game that comes in and and that's where field the fork really works is you guys win the game there we can get us in the game we can get us you know give us a lead heading into the last inning but you guys have got to win it for us with that kind of program i feel like that's the that's the potential i see there i've i've experienced firsthand people just like that that were intrigued with the content we put out there but still couldn't quite do it all on their own and then got involved in the field the fork program and had a real person help them with these things. And that made all the difference in the end. So personally, I will just tell you, I absolutely echo 
what you're thinking there, Lindsay. And, um, and I'm excited about that. Kip, did you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we are fully committed, you know, as a staff to, to going forward with that, you know, and expanding it. Um, we know we have a model now that works. And that's super exciting because, you know, you can see as, as we lose hunters and hunters age out, you know, the wildlife profession, uh, we've known this for, for well over a decade. You know, we've been watching the, you know, the trends and just seeing a drop and drop. But uh, all the, the youth programs and, and, and different uh, take one, make one programs and mentoring programs, uh, you know, those are all great programs. And you know, we're going to continue working with youth and encourage others to. But, you know, they have never moved the needle. And uh, so the fact that we've actually developed something here that really can move the needle, we have measurable impacts that, that it will work, is incredibly exciting, not just for us, but, you know, for all of the hunting community. So, uh, yeah, we, we recognize the value of what we have, um, and we are absolutely going to take that for as far as we can because, uh, you know, that's, that's exactly the shining star that the hunting world needs. And uh, we're, we're, we're very fortunate to have, you know, been a big part of developing that. Um, we have worked with it enough at local levels that we have mastered the fact that exactly how you do it. So now the next step is, hey, let's just figure out how to scale this up and make it so folks, you know, outside of the, the wildlife community or outside of, you know, hardcore hunters can, can take the materials and actually contribute to, to the solution as well. So um, we are at a really good place with that. So, and I can assure you that the KDMA staff is fully uh, invested in it and understands the value really of what we have and how important it is to the future of hunting. Hey, Mark, let me tag on one thought there real quick to what Kip just said, is that um, if to anyone who's listening and going, well, it sounds like you guys are just going to become, you know, the field of fort folks and, and reaching out to, to new hunters. But the way I see that is um, we all know that the hunting population, deer hunters are, are aging as a group and, and we're concerned about the numbers and the falling off. This is a way for us to create a source of new new voices, new or new customers rather, for our other messaging, our traditional messaging. Because you take these folks, you get them in the woods, you get them hunting, you teach them, you know, how to field dress, skin, process, eat, cook their own deer. They go out, they buy a gun or, or a bow, they participate more. Well, guess what? They they that puts them on that stairway that we all followed, each of us as deer hunters, that has them, you know, next year thinking about buying a trail camera. And, you know, maybe the next year thinking about, well, what if I planted something or how can I improve habitat? Or, you know, the next year thinking, hey, in this choice I make in which deer I shoot, there are implications for my future deer hunting. So we're putting these people on a track that puts them sort of closes the circle and brings them back around to the traditional messaging of our organizations about wise deer management. So that's why, you know, going back to what I said earlier about how we'll never really get away from that. We will always be here. And really, I guess you'd say a one, try to be a one-stop shop for uh, deer hunters from start to evolution through for those who want to, you know, take it further into, into deer management. We'll be here for that as well. So we've, We've kind of heard about what well, we have heard. We've heard about what's happening. We've heard about what your what your dreams and, and vision is for this thing going forward as far as organizational focus, goals, um, growing the membership. But an organization is only as strong as, at least I think, is only as strong as its members in this kind of situation. 
you can have a great staff, you can have great ideas, you can execute on a lot of great things, but if if your membership doesn't engage, if your membership doesn't take action on things, there's not a lot you can do that really makes a real significant difference. My question then for you is this. I've heard your wish list for the organization. Now I want to know what your wish list is for the hunters out there listening. Um, I know one thing that came up five years ago was this idea that there are more deer hunters than any other type of hunter out there, right? But a much smaller percentage of those hunters are members of a deer organization than other species like duck hunters. There's got much larger conservation organization participation, for example. That's one thing that I know back then we were talking about, like, man, we got to get folks, these deer hunters need to get more involved, simply become members. That's an easy wish. I don't know if that wish has come true or not. I'm curious to hear now your pep talk for the hunters listening, for members or future members, hopefully. Um, Nick, what would be your talk to those people right now? What do we need from them to to take advantage of this new moment? This isn't just a new moment for, for you guys. This could be a new moment for all of us deer hunters and the future of our resource of our places of this thing that we love to do um what would you say and what would you wish for these folks to uh to do i think the first thing i'd say is that this isn't happening for for us as much as it seems like it is in terms of the organization or us on this call uh this is this is necessary for deer and the future of the sport that we love the future of the animal we love and so our job, frankly, is to make it as easy as possible for people who care about deer to engage in issues, to engage in habitat conservation, uh, to get involved with hunting if that's what they choose to do. And so we have to make it as easy as possible for that to happen. And that's what we see our jobs as being, keep people informed, motivate them for action, get them to take action. And that's where deer hunters need to get to. And because it starts with deer hunters right now, nobody, we talk about this future of more people caring about deer. Well, the reality is the ones who care most about deer right now are the hunters. And they're the people who have taken the step to sign up for an organization like QDMA or others. Uh, so we need, we need their support for sure. We need to keep the ones we have, but we also need them. It's as simple as nudging a buddy sometimes or, you know, maybe it's as simple. I, I have a, a a good friend who's a long long term uh, time member of of QDMA who has bought memberships for others to get them interested and show them what's happening because he he recognizes we need to grow the ranks. So the pep talk would be: this is not the good old days for deer. We can't take them for granted like we probably have to this point. And if you're someone that really cares about the resource and really wants to see a, a strong future for this animal, then your options are do nothing and just hope it gets better or engage. Uh, being a well-rounded deer hunter now is far more than just understanding what food plot mix to grow or what is the best bullet or broadhead, uh, who has the best mapping app on their phone. That's helpful. But you have to be more well-rounded than that. What are the issues that really impact my sport? Maybe they're local. It could be something just as, as much as a local management decision all the way up to the federal government. And it's not really hard to just uh, jump into our system and send off a letter or make a phone call. So I would say the challenge is ask yourself to do a little bit more this year uh, beyond just what it takes to pursue a deer. Maybe it's 
you set yourself a personal goal to make one or two phone calls or to recruit a buddy to be interested in issues. Uh, because if we don't do it, like I said earlier, if we think we're just going to wait around and someone else is going to do it, or if you look to an organization like ours and say, oh, well, they got that taken care of, um, that's not how it happens. We're a team. If you if you join and you become a member, you're one of us. Uh, you're not just someone that joins us to get a, a magazine or whatnot. You are one of us, and therefore we expect uh, you to be part of that and to be excited about it. All right, then let's let's flip it over to to you guys, Kip and Lindsay, with with a similar question. What would your what would your wish list be for the for the listener for the hunter? What are your marching orders for the the member or future member, the hunter? What would you have to say, Kip, to them? Well, I think you know I'm very proud of the fact that the average hunter today is, is so much more engaged than than we were ten or twenty years ago. Uh, you know, they're more knowledgeable about deer. They they know more about the animal, how it sees, how it hears, how it moves on the landscape. Um, they, they talk with the state wildlife agency more. So I think that's all very good. That, that's very good for the future of hunting. But my wish list is we engage at even a higher level now, you know, with the organization. And uh, take a look at QDMA this past year. You know, we have, you know, plus or minus 50,000 members. Uh, but we had over 3 million unique visitors to our website. So, you know, we have a tremendous number of people out there that are using our information and our resources, which is exactly what we want. That's why we build it and create it. We want them to use it and be more knowledgeable and be better stewards of the natural resources. Uh, but uh, my wish list is that, you know what, they, they like that material, um, so they take the next step and get more engaged with us and join the organization. And, uh, you know, the way we look at it, all of the good stuff that we can do um, as we have more members, we can just do more good stuff, you know, more how-to videos on, you know, field dressing deer and, and doing this and that and all of these things. You know, it's amazing the requests that we get for, will you write an article on this? Will you do a video on this? Could you develop a program to do this? And, you know, there's, we would love to do those. And as more people join, um, that's just more opportunity for us to give back to them and, uh, and help the future of hunting. So, uh, so that's my wish list. So real quick, Lindsay, before you jump in, I'm just going to throw a little aside in now that I've got uh, some of the leadership of this new organization cornered and at my will. Um, I don't think you do have this because I always have my membership expire. Please make sure that auto renew is an option so that I don't need to keep on being like, oh, crap, I haven't got my (laughs) magazine for a few months. I need to go renew again. (laughs) Can we just make that happen? Yeah, yeah. No, you can already do that with QDMA, so we will absolutely make sure that that continues. Perfect. And then that's a that's a good segue to you, Lindsay. Uh, do you have any final marching orders or wish lists for, for the hunter, for the listener, anyone like that? Yeah, one that when you said this, jumped to my mind was something that Nick actually put in my brain back during a speech he gave at the Southeast Deer Study Group meeting back in February. Um, and it was he and Brian Richards were kind of doing a tag team presentation on chronic waste and disease. But really what Nick, what he kind of came down to, was, and it's been on my mind ever since. And, and it goes beyond CWD, but he really was focused on CWD, which is an extremely important issue that this organization will be dealing with going forward. It's, it's going to be one of the big ones. And what Nick said that I I left there with was our state wildlife agencies really are going to be ineffective at managing CWD unless they have the support 
and participation of their hunters. That's what it comes down to. That's that's what we've seen is that to deal with this problem, um, you need a cooperative effort between hunters and their state wildlife agency. And so that's, you know, I guess one of my big wishes that I think and this organization certainly will be working on is how to help those two groups work together, not see each other as opponents, uh, but see each other as teammates. And, and I'm not saying that every hunter has to, you know, listen to your agency and do what they say, but engage with them, connect with them, listen to them, consider what they have to say, when, particularly when it comes to chronic waste and disease and CWD management in the states that have that. So beyond just CWD, there's so many other ways that that relationship can be beneficial for the future. Having those wildlife agencies that manage our deer have good, positive working relationships with their constituents, their hunters. And it's a two-way street. It is one that the agencies need to take seriously and carefully, how they uh, engage with and include their hunters and, and keep them informed and listen to them. And it works the other way. Hunters need to do the same. So again, going back to what Nick said, that really, we, you know, we're not going to be able to solve CWD unless we get these two groups together, but it, it goes beyond that. So I think that's, there's a wish for me that is something that can be a big part of this new organization Nick's going to be leading can focus on. Yeah. Well, I th- I feel like this is a good place for us to to wrap things up. We we've heard about what's happening. We've heard about what we're hoping to accomplish in the future. We know a little bit more about what we as listeners and hunters can do to try to help drive some of that positive change too. Um, thank you guys. Thank you for your time. Thanks for sharing this with 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 myself and the wire dunk community. Uh, I'm going to speak for the community a little bit myself, but we're uh, we're all excited and we want to be part of this new positive change too. So with, with all that said, then Nick, the last thing we got to cover is what people should do right now when they turn off their phones, when they hop off the treadmill or get out of the truck or whatever it is, what action should they take right now? Should they be, should we be waiting till there's a new website, a new name for the organization become members then, or should we, should we become members of QDMA today? What do you want us to do right now? Yeah. I mean, so I'm glad you brought up membership because if you're already a member of of QDMA, you're a member of this organization and your membership terms will remain the same. If you're listening to this though, and you're not a member, uh, there's, there's really no reason to wait. Uh, We'd love for you to sign up right now. Um, Of course, we're going to make some announcements here a little bit down the road in terms of name and whatnot, but your membership will still, will still be good. So I think that's one easy thing that you can do is, is join. Um, if, if you're not prepared to do that just yet, and you maybe you want to wait a little bit longer till the name is announced, or you want to hear more, that's okay. Um, but definitely go to our online resources. Go go to the QDMA website, our social media pages, and also the National Deer Alliance, because we still are going to be operating in parallel here for a while until we can get um, the necessary things in place to to bring us both together. So those will, those will be great places for information. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to, to start getting engaged because again, as, as I said earlier, it's about everybody else even more so than it is about us. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, to Kip, Lindsay, Nick, thank you guys. Uh, I'm really excited to see where all this goes. Thank you for the opportunity. We appreciate it. Hey, always good talking okay, to you, Mark. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be here. Uh, this, this is a big deal you know, for us. And uh, so we thank you for, uh, for your help in what you did to make this happen. And certainly now to be able to, to get this out there to as wide an audience as possible. For sure. My, my pleasure. I'm, I'm excited for you guys. I'm glad that there's seems like some, some positive 
direction, some positive new energy, good stuff happening. And I'm, I'm very, really glad to hear that. So, uh, you know, you always know how to get a hold of me. Anything I can do to help, I'm uh, consider me a, a third wing of your operation here to help any way I can. Yeah, right, that's exactly you. what we, we consider you. And thanks for being such a great friend of both groups. Hey, no problem, Lindsay. Thank you, guys. All right, guys and gals, that is today's episode. Hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Um, you know, if you want to see what Heath's been up to and Justin, as we talked about last week, make sure to check out that Whitetail Addictions YouTube channel. Um, there's some cool hunts over there. And if you want to stay up to date on what I'm up to, make sure you are following my articles over on TheMeatEater.com. I'm writing weekly columns over there. Lots of good stuff. Make sure to check that out. And then, of course, follow Wired Hunt on Instagram where you're going to see my stories and what's happening in my hunting world and the other things I've got going on. So appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate checking it all out. Good luck out there as you're scouting and preparing for hunting season. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.